Welcome to Frontline Defenders Rights on the Line podcast, presenting the voices, perspectives, and experiences of human rights defenders at risk and focusing on human rights issues across the globe. On today's episode, we chat to the Media Initiative for Human Rights, a prominent Ukrainian human rights organization working on the topic of civilian hostages, political prisoners, and prisoners of war. Yes, thank you for inviting, and uh, this is very important for us to tell about our work and about all those challenges we have here in Ukraine. Uh, my name is Olga Reshatilova. I'm uh, head of the Media Initiative of, uh, for Human Rights, Ukrainian uh, NGO based in Kyiv. Uh, it was established in uh, 2016 uh, by me, <laughs> by myself, and uh, my uh, colleague and friend Maria Tomak. Uh, now she uh, she is uh, serving for state position, but I um, left here in our NGO. Uh, the, uh, our first and main focus uh, was uh, to investigate all grave uh, hum- human uh, like human rights violations um, within the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, we both. Uh, were former journalists at that time, and so we understood after two years of uh, the first wave of Russian aggression against Ukraine that uh, it is very important to explain and to investigate what is going on in the gray zone uh, near the front line. Uh, I mean, what happened to civilians uh, there, what happened to... um, even servicemen to uh, military personnel, because there are a lot of uh, conflicts uh, inside of uh, the army as well. And uh, this is also a very sensitive issue when you try to talk about this with society. So we decided to establish a special NGO, which uh, would uh, would focus on uh, those issues. But after some time, uh, we understood that we have uh, a great amount of information and we need to do something with it, not only investigation, like journalistic investigations, but uh, some advocacy analysis and so on. So we added uh, different approaches to our NGO, like uh, um, writing analytical reports, uh, like uh, uh, conducting uh, advocacy campaign and so on. And after the large-scale invasion, uh, which happened in uh, February of uh, uh, February 2022, um, we were like, at that time, we were the NGO of five people. After this uh, large-scale invasion happened, uh, we increased in many times now we have uh, 30 people in our NGO, uh, great people, very motivated, uh, very uh, strong and clever who work uh, like <laughs> 24 hours a day for uh, like uh, documenting war crimes in Ukraine, writing analytics, uh, conducting investigations, um, conducting different events, uh, mostly abroad, uh, to show the world what is going on in Ukraine. 
So this is a little about our NGO. Uh, we mm -hmm. focus on different uh, like topics, um, and uh, one one of these those topics is um, topic about civil issue, civilian mm -hmm. hostages issue. Mm -hmm. uh, also, uh, we focus on uh, like children issues, children deportation, uh, and uh, the right of POWs. Uh, so, yeah, this is what yeah. we are working for. Sure. And um, I see like one of your big, uh, your recent investigations was in terms of the secret prisons in, in Russia and the Russian occupied territories. Can you tell me more about that and, and your work on yeah, investigating that and in terms of the civilian hostages and prisoners of war in those places? Uh, I'd start with the uh, question why we call those people civilian hostages. So, I mean, uh, civilians who were detained um, by Russian uh, forces uh, on the occupied territories of Ukraine. But this issue isn't new for us. We uh, had been working with this uh, since uh, 2014, when um, after the annexation of Crimea, when Russians uh, detained a lot of uh, Crimean Tatars and Ukrainians there, and then on the occupied part of Donbas, uh, and uh, on in, uh, in on February 2022, we had. Uh, more than uh, 200 uh, political prisoners in Crimea and more than 300 civilian hostages on the occupied Donbass. So this issue wasn't new for us. Also, we conducted uh, like investigation before the large-scale invasion about the uh, quasi-legal system. Uh, we, uh, during this investigation, we understood that uh, uh, the uh, detention of civilians is uh, like a, is a tool for Russians to uh, establish occupational authorities. Uh, so even before the large-scale invasion, we understood that um, if uh, they would try to occupy more territories, they will they would uh, capture uh, more and more people. So unfortunately. Uh, this our investigation uh, helped us to predict what uh, would going on on the occupied territories uh, and uh, after the occupation of uh, northern uh, territories of ukraine i mean kiev region Sumy region chernigiv region uh, our like first task was to find those people to understand what uh, was going on uh, with them there. And um, uh, I think it, at the very beginning of March, we had first signals uh, that uh, many civilians were detained. And after, after the liberation of Kiev region, uh, we went to those territories, but uh, didn't find those people who were detained. Um, so we started seeking for them. We started uh, like our own investigation and we understood that uh, many of those people who were not killed were transferred uh, to different facilities uh, in the Russian Federation. I mean like pre-trial detention centers, prisons. Uh, many of them were transferred, this is very important, they were transferred uh, via Belarus.
and they stayed in a specially prepared camp in Belarus for a few days. And then they were spread uh, near the border, uh, near the Russian-Ukrainian border uh, in different prisons. But Russians didn't confirm that uh, they uh, had this, those people. Uh, we mm -hmm. tried different ways. We uh, requested uh, the ICRC uh, to find them, uh, the uh, UN mission, for example. We tried to cooperate with Russian lawyers and ask them to uh, come to those facilities. We had signals that they, there could be Ukrainians there. Uh, mm -hmm. But it didn't help at all. For example, we asked one of uh, Russian lawyers uh, to go to the uh, Bransk pre-trial detention center number two. We had an information that there were more than 600 of Ukrainians there. Uh, mm -hmm. So she went there, but she was told that uh, it is closed and nobody was there. Mm -hmm. So then she uh, went to uh, Bransk uh, pretrial detention center number one and asked there uh, whether there were some Ukrainian citizens. And then uh, there she, uh, she was told that all Ukrainians are held in that uh, center number two she went mm -hmm. pre uh, before. So... Uh, they were lying about uh, those facilities and they keep lying about this. They mm -hmm. uh, didn't uh, confirm uh, captivity of those people mm -hmm. uh, and we didn't understand why, for what purpose uh, they were like uh, holding, mm -hmm. the, uh, holding them. Uh, and, but we had a previous experience before the large-scale invasion, there were uh, so-called Minsk negotiations, uh, mm -hmm. where, where this issue of civilians uh, captured by Russians uh, was raised uh, many times. Mm -hmm. And we saw that um, Russian negotiation group uh, used those uh, civilians for blackmailing Ukrainian authorities, international community. For example, um, Ukrainian negotiation group uh, came to those, uh, to Minsk, uh, asking Russians to uh, free civilian hostages. Mm -hmm. uh, Russians uh, told, okay, but uh, you should make amendments to your constitution about uh, like, mm. uh, so-called uh, republics, DPR, LPR, for example, or um, conduct amnesty for all um, like terrorists, uh, mm. their proxies, for example, or something mm. like that. So for them, uh, this was a tool for blackmailing uh, mm. like, uh, their mm. negotiators, our negotiators. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. from those times, we uh, had this naming, civilian hostages. Mm -hmm. They are hostages. Mm -hmm. They are kept as hostages uh, for uh, Russian purposes. And, and for now, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, have, has there been any clarity on, you know, was it why certain civilian hostages were taken? You know, were they, were they targeted for you know, any kind of involvement in 
in defending themselves in the war or was it at random? Is there any clarity about that? Yeah, we also asked ourselves about this and we tried to clarify this issue. Uh, there are different, different cases. For example, some, some of those people uh, like was became hostage very ran randomly. Uh, mm -hmm. Some some of them uh, were just walking on on the streets or sitting mm -hmm. in their houses, and uh, Russians uh, kept, uh, captured them. Some mm -hmm. of them, of course, uh, cooperated or helped Ukrainian armed forces to uh, with some information about Russian forces, for example. But um, uh, I, I have to uh, like to underline this that uh, uh, interfering uh, Russian aggression or any other aggression is our uh, constitutional duty as uh, Ukrainian citizens. So um, this uh, like explanation that they were detained because they were interfering Russian special military operation in Ukraine. It's like a quote from uh, some responses uh, from, minister, from Russian Minister of Defense. Uh, so this uh, mean, means nothing for us because, of course, we understand that every Ukrainian citizen uh, tries to help uh, mm -hmm. our armed forces uh, and wants to be liberated by them and so on. So, yes, some, some of them were cooperating mm -hmm. uh, with uh, like or Ukrainian authorities, for example, or with armed forces. Some of them mm. were detained uh, like randomly. Uh, okay. But all of them were, are absolutely civilians. They mm -hmm. uh, had no mm -hmm. weapon, they had no uniform mm -hmm. uh, and, and so on. Uh, mm -hmm. But I have to say that the uh, situation is a little bit different in the northern region, which uh, fortunately are all liberated already. And for example, uh, southern, I mean, Kherson region, Zaporizhia region, or eastern regions. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I think this difference, uh, we see this difference because uh, northern regions were liberated uh, very soon after the uh, invasion. Mm -hmm. And uh, Russian armed forces and Russian special services had no time to um, to conduct some special operation, for example. So they uh, captured everyone they can find, find uh, yeah. uh, with, uh, and they suspected everyone, of course. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why we see that uh, many people were just captured. Uh, yeah. Random. Yeah. When we are talking about southern regions, uh, we see that uh, uh, we see those, you know, practices of special services. For example, I think that FSB, uh, Russian FSB, uh, works there, and uh, we see those Crimean practice practices. Uh, they uh, prepared uh, for many years of the occupation of Crimea, for example. So, uh, what I, what do I mean? Uh, we had case uh, when um, many people were detained after uh, they received a message from the uh, from their friend who already was kept, uh, and uh, so they just took uh, his phone, and from his phone they texted a message about like. Mm, mm. Uh, 
shall we meet uh, in this very certain place? And mm -hmm. many people, friends of, of him, uh, came to, to this mm -hmm. location and were detained by uh, wow. Russians. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so this is like a special operation. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, not not just military, and, but uh, maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, law enforcement, enforcement bodies can, can yeah. do that. At the um, at the beginning of the of the invasion, there were reports circulating of of wanted lists of some civilians, right? Were those lists inclusive of of human rights defenders, or who were mostly targeted by those lists? And yeah, what what happened to those people? Of course, uh, human rights defenders, activists, uh, journalists, bloggers are first aim for for them because they are opinion leaders in their communities mm -hmm. because they can uh, because they have uh, their own network of uh, such people as they are and and so on uh, that's why they try to uh, find those people first of all for example mm -hmm. we know about lists of um, pro-ukrainian activists and human rights defenders uh, they had uh, when they came to Kherson region and they mm -hmm. uh, checked houses uh, of uh, human rights defenders according to the uh, to this list mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, so they prepared uh, before they mm -hmm. uh, I think they they were searching the situation they uh, tried to identify those who um, has this um, I don't know, influence on their communities. And that's why, of course, uh, there are a lot of human rights defenders in their captivity. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, for example, Serhii Tsihipa from uh, Kherson region, uh, from Novakakhovka, he uh, he was, like, he is a former journalist, he is a blogger, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was captured uh, at the very beginning of the large-scale invasion. Or Irina Gorobtsova uh, from Crimea, yes, and, and many, many others uh, who tried mm -hmm. to, uh, to cover the situation, who tried to share the information with the uh, rest part of Ukraine, who are active in social media and so on. Of course, they are they're the first aim for them. Mm -hmm. And but, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but when we are talking about uh, the you know the number of civilian hostages for uh, today, our organization identify uh, 1,175 civilian hostages. Uh, mm. What what I mean when I'm uh, when I say identify, it means that uh, we found uh, witnesses of their detentions, for example, um, uh, or we interviewed someone who saw uh, them in different places of captivity, or we like they are confirmed by the ICRC. I mean, their detention is confirmed by the ICRC. Mm. Uh, that means uh, uh, that they are identified. But we assume that uh, there are mm, in maybe three or four times more of civilian hostages in Russian captivity. And can you explain the difference between civilian hostages and, and prisoners of war as different categories of, of captives? And I know sometimes civilian hostages can also be mixed up with illegally deported civilians. So. 
why is it important to keep those categories divided and what's the what's the principal difference between them yeah you're absolutely right and uh we see that russians want to mix them um mm -hmm. that's why they hold them together very often uh and they try to um to present uh, civilian hostages as um, as a combatants uh like uh, pretending that they are uh, they uh, had weapons for example some guns or something like that but uh, mm -hmm. very often it's not true um and uh, yeah that's uh, why why it is very important to divide these two categories uh both categories are protected by Geneva Conventions, mm -hmm. but there, there is a difference. Uh, POWs, prisoners of war, are combatants, and mm. uh, there is uh, certain rules in the mm -hmm. like international humanitarian law, uh, yeah. and they can be kept uh, till the end of the conflict. Unfortunately, mm. this is uh, very uh, sad. Uh, for mm. families, but uh, sides of the conflict have yeah. the right to keep them uh, till the end of the conflict. And mm -hmm. this uh, can be only uh, the will of uh, both sides to exchange mm. them. Mm -hmm. um, of course, they have their rights. Of course, they uh, also uh, shouldn't be tortured. Uh, of course, they... Uh, like have to be uh, held in uh, normal conditions and so on. Uh, mm. They mm. Uh, have a right for medical treatment. And uh, we know uh, like great amount of cases when Russia violates their rights as well. Mm -hmm. but and is, when we are is the primary, yeah. mm -hmm. sorry, is the primary difference there, um, you know, the position of weapons? Uh, also, there are different. There are a lot of criterias, like belongings okay. to some military units, uh, okay. having uniform, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, many, many, many others uh, criterias. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the I think the main criteria is to uh, whether they participate or not in combats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah this is uh, this is main criteria but uh, when we are talking about civilians and their captivity it is mm -hmm. illegal from every point of view mm -hmm. uh, sides ha have no i mean sides of the conflict have no right to detain uh, civilians mm -hmm. uh, just uh, because they are don't uh, yeah like uh, they uh, they uh, don't want the occupation, for example. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, unfortunately, there is no instruments um, in the uh, international law how mm -hmm. to uh, protect civilians from the from detention, how to release them. There is no mechanism uh, how to negotiate about their releasing. Uh, mm -hmm. The Ukrainian side uh, can't uh exchange civilians uh on prisoners of war because yeah uh, this is like you know this is very sensitive and after these exchange exchanges uh russians can uh captured more and more uh civilian people and it mm -hmm. is, this is 
unlimited source for them. Yeah, exactly. So that's why uh, for yeah. for us it's very important to uh, release them, them unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, Russians don't want to do this. They mm -hmm. don't want even to confirm their captivity. They don't want mm -hmm. uh, to um, like to give them uh, even to, to, to tell uh, families where they are, where yeah. they're being held. So there's no there's no communication about uh, the status of of those civilian hostages. Uh, like, yeah, is it, what information is there about what's happened to them or where they held? You know. Yeah, yeah. The, the main source of info, our, I mean, for, for our organization, the main source of uh, information is interviews with uh, released prisoners of war. Uh, okay. As they uh, are captured together with civilian hostages, uh, mm -hmm. we can understand in what conditions they are. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we know that everyone of civilian hostages uh, was tortured or is torturing uh, is tortured now severely, uh, very mm. often with electricity, uh, with uh, like severely, uh, severe beatings and so on. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, this is uh, the uh, additional crime uh, during mm. their captivity. Uh, and and how how often you know once the once civilian hostages or and prisoners of war have been captured, um, how what's on average, have they been released like after a certain amount of time or are they being still being held, you know, in the long term? Like you said, some prisoners of war have been released. What what would push them to be released? Uh, this is a very good question. Uh, and unfortunately, I have no answer, certain answer okay. for this. Uh, because so it's just at the whim, it's at the whim of the, of the authorities in Russia. Yes, uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. the uh, the only way uh, how to release them uh, is mm -hmm. uh, the decision of uh, Russian authorities. Yeah, uh, yeah. From our side, we can uh, raise awareness about this problem. Mm -hmm. We can uh, mm -hmm. conduct advocacy com advocacy campaign. Mm -hmm. We, mm -hmm. for example, uh, we had uh, numerous of events in the OEC, for example, because they have this mandate to monitor places of captivity. And we tried to push the OEC together mm -hmm. uh, with frontline defenders as well uh, to establish monitoring missions mm -hmm. to the Russian mm -hmm. Federation mm -hmm. and try to uh, get yeah. access to those places of captivity. Also, we had um, the event in the European Parliament and we... Mm asked uh, uh, parliamentarians to establish inter the international working group on the issue of civilian mm. hostages. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, what I see uh, and what can be uh, helpful uh, is uh, the office of the prosecutor office of the ICC to open proceeding uh, mm -hmm. about uh, deten detention and captivity of civilian hostages because mm -hmm. according to the uh, conclusions of our lawyers, uh, their detention and captivity is uh, the. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> is the uh, no, crime it's... against? Uh, this is a crime against humanity. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, so uh, I think that this should be under proceeding of the ICC. Mm. Uh, mm. And 
as we see after the um, uh, case opened about deportation of uh, children, the mm. situation uh, was getting better uh, with children. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Ukraine managed to, uh, to return a lot of children after that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we hope that uh, the uh, open proceeding about civilian hostages also can uh, help mm -hmm. uh, families mm -hmm. to to get back their loved ones. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So and also we we asked uh, the OEC to open one more Moscow mechanism on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is tools that uh, like legal tools yeah. that could be done. Yeah. And what have um sorry what have ukrainian authorities been able to do if anything in terms of ukrainian captives uh, there is a, a coordinational headquarter uh, mm -hmm. of uh, ukrainian intelligence who are uh, who they are responsible for the uh, exchanging of pow's but uh, mm -hmm. there is no special body or agency in Ukraine uh, mm. who is responsible for civilian hostages. That's why mm -hmm. it is our domestic task, and this is a mm -hmm. task for our NGO to uh, push Ukrainian authorities to establish special agency or special position uh, within our government uh, who mm -hmm. uh, should be responsible for they're releasing because when we are talking with different international bodies, uh, they we see that their willingness to help. We see that they are ready to uh, establish, uh, as I mentioned, the international mm -hmm. working group, for, for example. But uh, they told us that uh, the initiative should be from the Ukraine, Ukrainian government. We are just mm -hmm. NGO. We we can't initiate some negotiations mm -hmm. or something. That. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, we ask our um, Ukrainian government to establish special position or decide uh, who is responsible for this issue. Uh, mm -hmm. One more um, task is to communicate with uh, families because there are hundreds of families who are looking for their loved ones. Yeah. And uh, this communication is also very important because, you know, they... Uh, uh, like uh, capturing hostages, they uh, they uh, kept not only one person, but they kept mm -hmm. the whole family as a hostages uh, because uh, you know a family lives in this uh, hell. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. try to find some information. They don't understand what's going on and uh, what they should do to release their um, uh, loved ones. So uh, yeah, this is this is very difficult to communicate. I understand this because we do this every day, uh, but. Uh, yeah, some somebody fr from the government has do this. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just you know, going back to to human rights defenders, um, you say like you know they would be targeted, um, they would be targeted first, um, activists, human rights defenders, people with you know public profiles, um. Has there been, you know, significant cases of some of those human rights defenders who have been released who have shared the kind of treatment that they had undergone um, as hostages? Uh -huh. uh, yeah, so at the very beginning uh, of the large-scale invasion in the Kherson region, 
Oleg Baturin uh, was uh, detained. He uh, he's a journalist and a blog and blogger, uh, and he was captured um, for more than a month. And after that, he was released. And uh, the things he told uh, us about uh, his captivity was really awful. He was beaten, tortured, and mm. uh, he was captured together with um, his friend and uh, uh, another famous uh, blogger, Sergei Tsegipa. And uh, mm -hmm. after uh, he was freed, he, uh, he thought that Sergei was also uh, released, uh, but uh, unfortunately, Sergei is still in captivity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, Oleg now is a very active human rights defender. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. tries to help uh, other NGOs to yeah. raise awareness about what happened to him yeah. personally and to others he saw in captivity and mm -hmm. he understands what. Uh, mm -hmm like what challenges uh yeah those yeah yeah face, face. yeah yeah so i mean the 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 kind of second last question concluding question is to to just ask you know what is the what is the situation right now compared to you know when the invasion started um what's it like for people on the ground right now um what is it like for human rights defenders conducting their work at the moment? You know, uh, after the large-scale invasion, I'm not sure that uh, some somebody uh, of uh, human rights defenders had a like even a vacation <laughs> because we mm. had uh, such a great amount of work to do, mm. uh, so many cases to document, so many war crimes every day. And mm -hmm. uh, this is during uh, like uh, constant rocket uh, attacks. For example, last night we had uh, uh, the last <laughs> rocket attack, and uh, you, for example, during the night you have no sleep, and then uh, early in the morning you should keep uh, doing your work because there are thousands of families who are looking for their loved ones who. Uh, who witnesses of uh, was victims by themselves uh, of war crimes and so many victims you have to help to uh, so many crimes you have to document so many like uh, events you have to conduct to uh, keep uh, telling the world what's going on here and uh, yeah this is uh, this is not easy, but uh, unfortunately, mm. we have very strong civil society in Ukraine. Mm. And, That's great, uh, yeah. Yeah, and those, uh, and I'm I'm really proud of those people I'm mm. uh, working with because, you know, mm. they um, they try to do their best to help their country mm. to help to help their people. And mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, we cooperate very closely with them. Uh, we uh, established uh, the next day after the large-scale invasion. We established the Ukraine Five M Coalition. Uh, it consists uh, of uh, thirty-four uh, organizations and four individual members, and mm -hmm. we uh, closely cooperate not to uh, double the same work, for example, not to. Uh, 
re-traumatize victims by uh, uh, interviewing them many times. So we uh, have uh, our common database of uh, okay. war crimes and so on. So I'm proud of the Ukrainian civil society mm. and my colleagues uh, because uh, for more than a year and a half, they are doing great job. Mm-hmm. And uh, lastly, what you know? What message do you want to give to the international community? What what is needed more from the international community um, to help Ukrainian, not only Ukrainian civil society, but um, yeah, just to bring yeah. improvement to the situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, we see more and more diff- different political discussion about discussions about how this uh, war in Russian aggression should uh, be stopped and mm-hmm. sometimes we hear very painful thoughts about uh, i don't know maybe that ukraine has to uh, leave some uh, territories for russians and so on mm-hmm. um I want to say that uh, every day of the occupation uh, is uh, about death, about tortures, uh, and uh, suffering of many Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. And um, we can't leave them under the occupation because for mm-hmm. them it means uh, that uh, they will never be free. They will mm. never uh, have their rights, and mm-hmm. so, so unfortunately, we can't uh, talk about human rights under the occupation. So we we need uh, to go back to the borders, Ukrainian borders, uh, uh, that uh, was from well from the very beginning of our independence just mm-hmm. to spread human rights and liberties uh, to all our territory, just to mm-hmm. release those people, to make them free. And yeah. this is not political discussion. This is about fundamental human rights. And mm-hmm. when, when uh, somebody wants to talk about, uh, I don't know, what, what price has Ukraine uh, pay for its independence, just mm. remember that we paid too much. We paid mm-hmm. our own lives, uh, lives of not only yeah. uh, militarians, but civilians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is uh, the price we pay every day. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing and uh, yeah, for telling us about your work. Uh, it's really, really important work that you're doing. Um, you know, documenting everything that's happening, and um, yeah, I know it's not it's it's not easy, um, but you have our support and solidarity always. And yeah, thank yeah, you, thank you so much, Jumpline Defenders, for your support. For us, it's very very important, and we feel it every every day. Thank you very much. It's our pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rights on the Line. Visit www.frontlinedefenders.org to listen to other interesting episodes. Subscribe and share.